Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, 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 what's happening, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today. Feeling good, feeling nice. We're on episode six of the Speaker Lab Podcast. So really excited about this. We're just getting this podcast underway. This is the first week. And so far, things are really good. We've got a lot of people listening from... Uh, Literally, literally all over the world. That's always really cool. And a lot of you are leaving great reviews and feedback on iTunes. People are emailing in. So digging it, loving it. And really, here's the point of this whole show is uh, whether you're a brand new speaker, maybe for you, you've been, you spoke a few times for free, you're trying to figure out how to get paid. Maybe for you, you've been doing this for a little while, you're trying to figure out how to up your business and try to find maybe higher paying gigs or other ways to expand your business beyond just speaking. Listen, wherever you're at in your speaking business, your speaking career, we want to be a resource for you, a guide, a tool to help you build and grow your speaking business. So that's what we're all about. That's why I'm super pumped about this and really excited that you're here. Hey, a couple quick things I'll mention to you up top. We've got a contest running right now for uh, just to help continue to launch the podcast, help promote it to other people. And so if you're interested in this, you can stop by podcastcontest.com. Again, that's podcastcontest.com. And there basically we're asking you to do, we're giving away a couple different things. You're going to have to go over to the site to check it out. But within the giveaway, basically all you have to do is we're asking you to subscribe to the show, which you should have already done, okay? And if you haven't already, wherever you're listening to this this uh, episode, you can do this with an iTunes or on your mobile device. There should be a subscribe button there. Just hit the subscribe button. That way, every time a new episode comes out, that way you don't miss out on anything. So for the time being, we'll be doing new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I don't want you to miss out on those. So make sure, one, you subscribe to the show. Two, we're going to ask you to leave us a rating and review within iTunes. And so that helps other people to find out about the show, helps other people to see that, okay, this show's decent. This show's legit. So leave us a rating and review. And then finally, we want you just to download the episode. So again, we are on episode six. If you haven't already, go back, download the previous five episodes. We do some training, some teaching from me. We do some interviews with some different people. We got some uh, more Q&A that we do. And so really, really fun stuff. And uh, I'm really enjoying the show. Excited about a lot of the episodes that we have coming up in the near future. And also, if you haven't already, be sure and stop by thespeakerlab.com, new site that we got up that, again, is we want to be a, a one-stop shop for speakers and helping you in your speaking career. So we do have a, a free email course over there that you can check out if you'd like, again, over at thespeakerlab.com. It's a free nine email course all about how to get started as a speaker. So we walk through how do you figure out what you want to talk about, figure out, uh, find speaking engagement opportunities, and find 
figure out how much to charge and setting up your marketing materials and website and demo video and all that jazz that you need to know. Well, all that's in a free email course. Again, you can stop by, check out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, today we're going to be doing some uh, Q&A. We've got one excellent question, and this is we're going to spend some time on this one because it, it's, it's really, really important. But this question comes to us from, well, before I tell you about the question, let me remind you, if you'd like, you can always ask us a question that we can feature here on the show. And so you can do that again by going over to thespeakerlab.com. Leave us your question. You can do that in one of two ways. One, the preferred way is that you leave us a voicemail, all right? So since the show is just brand new, we're starting to get some of those voicemail questions start to trickle in. So you can definitely go over there, leave us a voicemail question. Or two, if you're like, I don't like the sound of my voice and I don't want to, it's okay. We understand. Even though, listen, if you're a speaker, be confident in yourself, all right? So you can go over there, you can leave us a comment and we will answer the question in an upcoming episode. But let's get into today's question. Today we got a question from Marina who asks, once a speaking gig has been booked, what kind of contract is exchanged and what useful specific clauses are included in addition to any standard clauses in a speaker's contract? Well, first of all, Marina, thank you so much for the question. Love it. This is really, really important. You know, a lot of times we think about, okay, how do I just get booked and how do I get paid and all that stuff and all that jazz. And once you get booked, let's say someone, you're emailing back and forth, you're talking with someone and they're like, okay, let's do it. We want to have you come speak and it's happening in a couple months. Let's do it. Do you know what happens next? Like, would you know what to send them? So a couple things. Let's kind of talk this through here. First of all, you want to get everything in writing. Get everything in writing. I had a mentor of mine, a speaker friend of mine, who told me early on in my career that a paper trail is a safe trail. A paper trail is a safe trail. If it's not in writing, it didn't happen. You want to get everything in writing. Always, 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 always have a contract, all right? So that's lesson number one. Make sure that you always have that. Why? Because you just want to be super, super clear about here's what my responsibilities are, here's what your responsibilities are as the host, as the client, as the event planner, and you just want to detail all of that stuff. And I'm going to go into what all you want to include, but just know that you do want to have a contract. You do want to have an agreement there. And especially when you start charging for what it is that you're doing, shockingly, people get very forgetful when money was involved. That they start thinking like, whoa, 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 I didn't, I didn't think we were paying for that. How much was it? I don't, I don't remember that. Like you want to be really, really clear. So especially, even if you have this in some type of email exchange, that's good. That's a step in the right direction, but you really, really, really want to have some type of specific agreement. Now, especially if you've talked to the person and everything was kind of ironed out either over the phone or just verbally in person, and it was just kind of a handshake deal, you definitely, definitely, definitely want to put it in writing. And so sending them an agreement, even if you're just sending them sometime, I'll even just send an email after the fact. It's just like, hey, here's a quick double check, just making sure this is exactly what we talked about. This is what we agreed upon. Are we on the same page there? So send the email and the agreement because I just, again, I want to over communicate so there's no questions whatsoever. Who's responsible for what? So again, get everything in writing, get everything in writing, always, always, always have a contract. Now, having said that, I actually, I don't like calling it a contract. I think a contract sounds uh, intimidating for a lot of people. It sounds a little daunting. It sounds very legalistic and legalese. So we internally, we refer to it as a, a speaker agreement or a scheduling agreement. An agreement sounds less 
formal. It sounds less stressful. Again, it's a bit of semantics, but we tend to refer to things as agreements instead of contracts. So once you get booked, generally you will send them the agreement. Okay, You will send them your standard agreement. And so it's good to have one on file. It's good to have just a template one. We have one that we use in our business, and so we are just kind of swapping out a couple of little pieces, but each time you do one, you shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. You shouldn't be recreating this all the time. So whenever you are get booked, you should have that template agreement that you can send out. So again, most of the time, clients will depend on you to send them the agreement. Now, in some situations, they will want to use their own agreement. And that's fine. That's okay. So I would say, I'd say probably 90% of the events we've done, we've used our own agreement and occasionally we'll use their agreement. So it doesn't necessarily matter whose agreement it is as long as you're using one. Now, in some, especially bigger venues and events, if they want to use their contract, sometimes it can be very, very complicated. And also just know this, that even if they're using your agreement, that there are times where it may have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order for it to actually get signed and become official. So there's times where we've worked with different corporations, different colleges and universities, different school districts. And so sometimes they'll have to have some type of legal department that looks everything over, that signs off on everything before they are able to get that back to you. So sometimes you can send off an agreement and you'll get it right back. Sometimes it takes weeks and sometimes months to get it back. So just kind of know that going into it. But basically a scheduling agreement is a summary of what you have agreed upon, okay, from both sides. So leave no details unsaid in this. So as I'm kind of looking through our speaking agreement here, and also, just so you know, uh, we include the uh, the speaking agreement within some of our training materials. So if you're interested in a copy of that, let us know. But what we've got here is we have, first of all, just all the event details, the event date, the name of the event, the location, who the host is, what their contact info is, just some of that like really basic stuff. So we're on the same page of what the event is. Then underneath that, we include what's called the program details. And for us, this is where we outline exactly what we will be providing. So Grant Baldwin will be providing uh, one keynote for 45 to 60 minutes on this date at this time. So it's just really, really specific there. So it may be Grant's providing one keynote and one workshop on this date, plus another keynote on this date. And then the other thing that to include there is we include the length of time that that keynote or that presentation would be. And here's why. Was a, 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 this, this stemmed from a couple years ago. You know, like you see warning labels and usually like warning labels on any type of like product. And it was some weird situation that probably led to that warning label. And so this is the warning label I'm getting ready to give you is putting on there how long you're going to be speaking for. Okay. So a couple years ago, I was speaking at a conference in Pennsylvania. And typically, if I do a keynote, it's usually going to be anywhere from usually 45 to 60 minutes or so. And so I go to the conference and I speak and it goes well. I speak for you know, 45, 60 minutes, the usual amount of time. And afterwards, talk to the client. The client was really nice and everything seemed good. And so like a week later, I get an email from the client saying that they were expecting, I think it was something like I was, uh, they expected basically I was going to be speaking like for an hour and a half to two hours, something along those lines. And so there was just a miscommunication there about the amount of time that I 
I would be speaking. And so it's not necessarily like, is it their fault or my fault or whatever? Like we're going to, we need to have that on us speakers that we are communicating that. So I don't do two hour keynotes. I don't do a 90 minute keynote. So this is the time frame that our keynotes are. And even if we talked about that, it's important to again, just put that in there. So you're really, really clear. So you don't get there. You're planning on presenting 30 minutes, but they are planning on you presenting for three hours. Just making sure that that is in the agreement. So after we've kind of outlined the details of what it is that we are actually going to be delivering in terms of the number of presentations and all that jazz, then we go into the finances part. And so this is where we talk about First of all, what the speaker's fee will be, so how much that will be, who they need to make checks payable to, whether that's to you or to... I recommend that you should have a separate business account for your business finances, and so it should generally go toward the business account and not to you personally. And so for us, we have what the speaker's fee is, and then it also details travel. So there are basically two ways to handle travel, and I'll just go over them from a high level here. We'll get into this more in depth on another episode. But one would just be that you do what's called all-inclusive. Actually, let's, let's, let me do the first one, the other one first, where you would do travel actually separately. So let's say that your fee is $1,000, and then any travel above and beyond that would be invoiced after the event. Okay. The other option then is that you would do what's called all-inclusive, meaning let's say your speaking fee is $1,000 and travel is going to, you're just kind of estimating your ballparking, it's going to be 500 bucks. You know? And again, this is going to vary depending on how far you're going, how much time's involved, all that jazz, what the travel would be that goes into that. And so if that's the case, then you want to, then you would do all inclusive. You're just kind of ballparking what that would be. And then you're factoring that in to your total invoiced amount. Meaning instead of a thousand plus travel, if you're estimating your travel to be about 500 bucks, then you would invoice them for $1,500 and you're responsible for covering travel out of that. So again, all of that needs to be super, super clear. And so for us, we do the latter. We do all inclusive pricing. And so we say in the agreement, that the speaker fee is X, and that includes all travel expenses. And then if there's anything that it does not include in travel expenses, you want to outline that. So it's fairly common for some events to, especially for conferences that are going to be hosted at a hotel, and it's going to require an overnight stay for you. It's fairly common that the conference would cover your hotel because they may have comp rooms or discounted rate. So one of the things that we do is if we're at a conference that's being hosted at a hotel, then we will say, tell you what, we will cover, you know, airfare and car rental and meals and all that stuff if you will just cover our hotel. And so again, if that's the case and they agree to that, then you want to put that in the agreement. So we put in there that speaker's fee is X, includes all travel expenses except hotel. And then below that, we put an entirely separate line. The event host slash sponsor is responsible for speaker's hotel accommodations. So again, making that super, super clear. If they say, hey, tell you what, you know, we will have a driver come pick you up at the airport and you don't need to rent a car. That's fine. That's great. Just put that in the agreement so that they know and you know who is responsible for what. The other reason why this is all important and having all these details in place and written out is because the more events you do, the more different details you have and the more complicated it is to keep track of all these things. For example, last year I did a uh, or excuse me, in 2000, let's see, 2014, I did 67 speaking engagements. So if each event has different nuances and different little details to it of, okay, that one said they're covering hotel, but that one said they're not covering hotel. This one said we're doing all-inclusive pricing. This one wants us to, to invoice travel later. Uh, 
all of that you want to have outlined because it makes it a lot easier for the client, but it makes it a lot easier for you and you're not trying to remember all these details of what you're doing for who. So after that part, then we also outline the deposit. It's pretty standard for speakers to ask for a 50% deposit due upon the contract or the agreement acceptance, meaning when you sign this agreement and you send us a 50% deposit, then it basically confirms the date for you. So again, this is very, very common with speakers, and this is common for most service businesses that a lot of times they're going to ask for a 50% deposit. Now, there are going to be cases and situations where a client cannot pay a deposit. There are times where I'm working with, let's say, a state organization or a government organization, and they do not pay anything until, quote unquote, services have been rendered. All right, that's a common phrase that is used. And so basically, your client is the, the individual person that you're working with. And those situations, their hands are generally tied. So don't try to force them to get a 50% deposit if they can't do it. Just be super clear that, hey, we're going to waive the deposit, but we are requiring you to pay the full balance at the time of the event. And so whether they pay the deposit or not, you also want to make it clear that the balance is due in full at or before the event. This is not the type of thing where, hey, after the event, we're going to invoice you like you know a couple of weeks later or something, and hopefully you'll pay us eventually. Don't do that. Be super, super clear that at the time of the event, the balance is due. Now, we also put in there, just a little tagline here, just to say that the contract can be used uh, both as an agreement and as an invoice, because there are some organizations and groups that say, hey, will you send us an invoice? And so we've put in there like, hey, this agreement can double as your invoice. And so here's the total amount that's due. You would owe a 50% deposit of that right now. So after that in the agreement, then we also include a quick line about rights reserved, meaning we basically say that, hey, you can audio record us, you can video record us, but you cannot sell that. And if you do audio or video record it, then we want a copy of that. So we include that line in there. Underneath that, we also include a line about product sales. And so just saying that, hey, we may sell product at your event. So again, just making it clear that we are. So one of the things that we include there is that that there's no revenue splits. So I don't think we've ever encountered an issue with this where an event has asked for a split of the product revenue there. But just again, being clear and being straight up that, hey, we may sell product. And if we do sell product, here's how this is going to go. And then underneath that, then here's where we get into like the cancellation and refund policy. Now, the nutshell, and I'll kind of read it to you as we have it written here, but uh, basically we have to receive a full refund of your deposit, written cancellation must be received within 45 days of the event. Cancellation fee of 50% of contract value plus all travel expenses incurred will be charged for cancellations made less than 45 days of event date. Okay, so here's the nutshell of that. Basically, if it's inside 45 days, then we are going to keep the deposit that you've given us plus any expenses because if it's most events are booked several months out so within you know that 45 day window it's going to be hard to turn around and book something else to fill that date the other thing that we talk about here in this cancellation and refund policy is in the event of like sickness or something there's some emergency or something beyond our control that has happened, whether it be maybe there's a hurricane or maybe there's a some type of snowstorm or blizzard. I've encountered a few of those before. Maybe some type of major travel issue. Maybe, you know, God forbid there's a 9-11 and, and 
like all flights are grounded everywhere. And so you just, you can't get to where you need to go. Basically what it says here is that there, there'll be no claim for damages by either party in the event of such non-performance fees will be waived. And so basically like if I made all effort and I can't get to the event, you can't basically hold us responsible for something that we can't control. So now having said that, here's how we kind of approach this. All right. We have always viewed contract as this agreement between us and the client. But at the end of the day, a couple thoughts here. One, it's not, again, like a super legalese agreement. It's basically, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. All right, deal? Good. There's really probably not any legal recourse that you could take, nor that you would probably want to take or would be worth it. Unless, I mean, unless we're talking like you've got some type of 50 or $100,000 speaking gig. But I mean, if we're talking like you did a um, $1,000 speaking gig and something about the finances got messed up and you know, you're short a couple hundred bucks or something like that. It's just, it's not worth your effort or energy to, you know, to try to fight it in court or something like that. And it's just, it's just not worth it. So something like that happens, let it go. Now, having said that we've done over 450 paid speaking engagements and I can think of two where the client canceled within a couple weeks of the event happening. And both of them were basically, hey, we've been planning this conference for months and months and months. We've been promoting it. And we just didn't get the turnout that we thought. And so it just doesn't make sense. You know, like we practically, we cannot afford to host the event anymore. And so at that point, I'll tell you what we did in both situations. Because at that point, they've already paid a deposit. The event, I think both of them were within like, within a week or two, they were really close. So it's not like we're a couple months out. So at that point, all the travel, the airfare, all the flights, all that stuff has been booked. The other challenge I remember with both of these events is that they they were a part of kind of a travel swing where I was doing a couple of different events. Like one of the first one that happened, I was speaking like somewhere on the East Coast of the US and then I was speaking in Minnesota and then I was speaking in California. And so the Minnesota event was the one that had needed to cancel. And so I had three events. They were the one in the middle. And so I couldn't really, it didn't make sense like logistically to go from the East Coast event home and then turn around and go to California and just kind of cut out the Minnesota one. So what I ended up doing was saying, well, actually, before I tell you what I did, let me tell you what happened with the other one. So the other one was basically, it was um, an event in Pennsylvania. And yeah, a week or two before, they just said, hey, we just haven't had the turnout. And so at this point, we can't really do anything. We, we can't really host the event. And so what we ended up doing was in the second one, the one in Pennsylvania that canceled, or I think it was just we were going there and back for that event. And so we said, hey, we've, you know, we've already booked the airfare on this. And then in order to get a refund on our airfare, they're going to charge us a fee on that. So basically what we said to them was we will keep the deposit and we will subtract out any expenses that we have incurred from that. Now, I think on the contract, it says like, you know, we're going to keep the deposit and we're going to invoice you for any travel that we've incurred. But in that case, we didn't. We subtracted the travel out of the deposited amount. And so here's the overarching idea. Now, before I tell you what I did in the Minnesota one, I want to tell you just this overarching idea. The goal here is to always, always, always try to do the right thing and try to make it a win for both you and the client. So in these cases, they did their best. They worked hard. They promoted it. It wasn't like they were a bad client or they did a bad job or anything. Now, all of a sudden, they you know, put yourself in their spot where they've all of a sudden have a several thousand dollar bill that for a speaker that they're not going to need. So now what? Now at the same time, like, again, it, it hurts me too, because I've 
planning on going to do this and we've budgeted for this and now all of a sudden we're not going to do it. And so you have issues from both sides of it there. But we always try to do figure out like what's the best possible outcome? How can we make this a win for everyone? So regardless of what the contract says, okay, just throw that out of your mind for a second. Regardless of what the contract says, how do you make this a win for the client? How do you create this wow experience where it's like, you know what? We didn't have Grant speak, but he was so good to work with and here's what happened and here's how this played out and he was just really understanding and considerate about it. With the Minnesota one, here's what we ended up doing was, again, because it was in the middle of three different events that I was doing and I couldn't really basically worked out where like, I'm going to have to go to Minnesota either way. It doesn't make sense for me to fly back home. And so I ended up going to Minnesota and I said, here's what I want you to do is, uh, this was going to be like a a small high school conference. And I said, this is a client that works with a bunch of high schools around the area. And I said, I want you to just pick a school that you work with that I can provide an assembly for. I'm going to have to come to town anyway. So let's do this. You keep the deposit or you let me cover the travel out of it. Uh, You keep the rest of the money and I'll just come in and I'll come in and do an assembly for free for you. So I could have totally charged them for it. I could have totally asked for more. I could have totally contractually done more. But I wanted to look at this from how do I make this a win? How do I really leave this a great impression with the client? Because one of the things you'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about is this is a relationship business. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so, yeah, contractually, they should have owed me more money. But I also knew that they were in a tough spot and I wanted to make it a win for them. I knew that I was going to end up having to go to Minnesota anyway. So I tried to figure out how do we make this a win for the client. So the bottom line is whatever the cancellation, the refund, all of those policies are, one, you want to have them in place. Two, you will rarely, if ever, need to use them. Three, if you do have to use them. I don't... Like I had to, before I started recording this episode, I had to look up and see what our contract says for this stuff. Because honestly, I just don't know. I'd rather figure out on a case-by-case basis what's wrong, what happened, and how do we make it right with for, for both us and for the client? How do we make this a win for everybody? And so always, always, always do the right thing. Try to create a win for the client. Try to create this raving fan experience for them. And so that's the goal. So that's basically what we do with it. With the contract, we send that to them. They sign it, and then they send it back to us. Our team signs it. My assistant signs it, and then sends them a signed copy, and it's basically done deal. So again, the event is not confirmed until they sign that agreement and send it to us. That's the way we approach that. Now, in terms of other things that may or could go on a contract, there are things related to you know audio requirements or lighting requirements or stage requirements or seating arrangements or any of that type of stuff. We do have those things. We put those on a separate document called a rider, R-I-D-E-R, a rider. And so this basically is us saying, hey, these are the preferences that we have. Okay. And so we're going to talk more about the rider in a different episode. But just to kind of give you a sense of that kind of stuff, that kind of preference stuff, not necessarily like contractual stuff, but just like, hey, if in order to have the best possible environment for your audience and for this, for me to be able to speak, here's some things that we would like to have in place. All right. And so again, we'll get into those in a later episode. So that's the nutshell. Marina, thank you so much for the question on having an agreement. Again, bottom line is you want one. You got to have one. You need one, right? It is that important, that big of a deal. Get it in writing. If it's not in writing, it didn't happen, all right? So always, always, always have an agreement and get it in writing. 
Hey, uh, just quick reminder here. As always, you can check out the show notes for the episode. If you miss something, you can go over to thespeakerlab.com and check out the episode, the specific episode and the show notes for that. Also, if you have a question, you can leave us that question again over at thespeakerlab.com. There's a tab there for Ask Grant. And so you can leave us a voicemail question or you can you can submit your question just through a comment there. But we would love, love, love. We want to answer the specific questions you have. So make sure that you leave us those questions over at thespeakerlab.com. And then finally, again, don't forget about the podcast contest. Again, you can go to podcastcontest.com. Again, that is podcastcontest.com. There we are, are doing a, a giveaway with a couple different things. You can check out what the prizes are over there. Some really nice, sweet stuff. All right. So we're going to do some coaching with me. We're going to give away some, uh, let's see here, I think a membership to our Booked and Paid to Speak training program. So that's definitely one you're going to want to check out. Uh, and I think, I think we're doing some gift card giveaways over there. So definitely stop by, check it out, podcastcontest.com. All right, boys and girls, that wraps up today's episode from The Speaker Lab. Thanks for hanging out with us. We will catch you next time. You are awesome, my friend.